We continue again our journey through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 4, so if you're not there yet, go ahead and turn there. Um, We'll try to get through the first 22 verses of Acts chapter 4. We might get there, we might not. We'll just kind of see how it goes. Um, I've been encouraged so far in this study, and again, as I mentioned several weeks back, we're probably going to be here for a while, so, um, you know, just get comfortable, I guess, and... I think there are just a lot of things that are in um, that are in this book that are very applicable to us. Um, you know, it's our encounter with the early church and how they dealt with things as a church, as a body of believers, as bold proclaimers of the gospel. And what we find here as we begin in Acts chapter 4 today is opposition to the gospel. I mean, what is clear and abundant, what has not been yet to this point, but now becomes clear and abundant in Acts chapter 4 and throughout the rest of the book, and really throughout the rest of the life of the church for the last 2,000 years, is opposition, is persecution. There is constantly a desire from those who are against God and the things of God to oppose God and his people. One of the characters that we really don't find particularly in Acts is Satan, but he's there. He has convinced many people, and even now as we'll see in Acts 4 as we read this, religious people to disobey the truth, to not understand the truth, to walk away from clear pictures and presentations of the power of God in their midst, right in front of their face. Satan has blinded many people from being able to see, from being able to hear, from being able to understand the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done, and how we are called to respond to that truth. Let's read Acts chapter 4, start in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 22, and maybe we'll get the explanation through all of it. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says, And as they were speaking to the people, so this is uh, Peter and John, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Then they arrested them, again, that's Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded him to leave the council, them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now we kind of picked up in the middle of the story, as I mentioned last week when we went through chapter 3. But this really is a continuation of chapter 3. And what we just ended there reading at the end of our text was this man who was healed. This crippled man was healed and he was more than 40 years old. And this man was healed at the temple by Peter and John as they walked up to him. The crippled man was laying at the entrance to one of the gates. And Peter and John said, look at us. And they looked at him and he looked at, back at them. And Peter was like, I ain't got money for you. I know that's what you're wanting because you have no way to be able to provide for yourself. You can't get a job, right? You don't fit the standards of what society expects. <clears throat> and so I know you want money, but we don't have it. But what we do have, we can give to you. We have faith in Christ. And we present that offer to you. To be healed, to know who Christ is. To understand what it is to live in freedom. Right? And, and the Holy Spirit used Peter to heal this man. And everyone saw it. And he was walking and leaping and praising God all throughout the temple. And all the people who knew this man, who saw him week in and week out, were like, wow, we've seen this guy. There's no way he's been faking it this whole time, right? It's not the Walmart guy, you know. It's not the guy at the gas station who we're not really sure may or may not actually need help. This is the guy who, like, legitimately has been carried by his friends to be laid at the steps of the temple every day for the past 30-something years since he's been older, But what happens is the leaders of the temple, the captain of the temple guard, the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the priests, they kind of hear all this commotion. They see what's going on and they're like, well, this isn't good. We're not, at the, we're not in the middle of this awesome happening. We didn't cause this to happen. And so we're kind of questioning, hey, you know, what is this? Why is this? Why are they getting all the credit? What about us? What about me? And Peter had gone into a sermon and they began teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, proclaiming that faith in Jesus would save people from their sins, calling people to repentance, saying, look, it's not your works that you can depend on. It's not your faithfulness that you can depend on. It's not your ignorance that you can depend on, but it's Jesus' repentance and faith in Jesus that you need to depend on. 
right? So they're preaching, they're teaching, and that's where we find ourselves here in chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people there in verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the, from the dead. So, so why? There is, I think there are many reasons why the leaders are greatly annoyed, as it says. But some of the reasons that are particularly given to us are because they were teaching the people, right? It says they were, in verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people, right? Hey, wait a second. That's my job, right? Okay, you go sit back down in the pew, you know, like let the teacher do the teaching, okay? You know, like that's the, that's the idea that they got here, right? Like this is our job. We're getting paid to do this. Go sit down. Right? Only the trained, the appointed, the officially designated people were supposed to teach. See, when Jesus called the people, his disciples, in Acts chapter 1, to be his witnesses, a witness testifies to what they know. Right? I mean, we've all seen courtroom shows and movies and stuff like that. Right? They call a witness. They are supposed to testify to what they have seen, what they've heard what they've studied, right? Because it's not just a witness as in someone who witnessed the crime being committed, but it's also a witness as in expert testimony, you know, a professional. Detectives, medical professionals who have expertise because they've had years of study and experience and training, right? Jesus called his disciples to be his witnesses. Primarily and most importantly, they are witnesses to his resurrection. But every time that we encounter Peter and the apostles opening their mouth, they are also testifying to the word of God. They're not just saying Jesus was raised from the dead. They're also giving scripture to support their argument. They're also saying, look, this is who Jesus is. He's the one who was prophesied about in your scripture. Because right now to this point, we still are just talking to the Jews, God's people who have been given the Old Testament, who have been given every opportunity to look forward to and to benefit from what God has been doing among them and continues to plan to do among them. And God sent Jesus in their midst to tell them the truth about who he was and about who God is and about the work that he's doing. And he did all these miracles to show and to prove that he was who he said he was. And what the apostles have, what the disciples have, they don't have Jesus himself anymore with them. But what they have are the Spirit and the Scripture. We saw in Acts chapter 2 how the Holy Spirit came upon them and powerfully emboldened them to speak the word of truth, to preach to recollect what Jesus had taught them, to understand the scriptures better, to be enlightened. These men are unlearned in the official teaching and the methods and the course of study that was expected during their time. But they clearly had a power and a knowledge that was at least partially a result of spending time studying and understanding scripture. See, it's so easy to, I think, 
to read Acts and to leave out all of sort of the white space and not realize that things are happening in between what we're actually told. We can just go off of the fact that the Spirit was given to them and that all of a sudden, just because Jesus told them to be his witnesses, that they knew everything like that. But it seems pretty clear from all of the quotations that we've already seen in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, and then now again in Acts chapter 4, the quotations that Peter continues to give as he preaches that he knows the scriptures. I think he was trained in them in a certain capacity, not the official capacity, not as an official leader, not as a Pharisee, not as a priest, not as a teacher who was supposed to be the teacher, but as someone who studied the scriptures as a kid, because he grew up under them, as a disciple, as he listened to Jesus, as he walked with Jesus, and then now post-Jesus, so to speak, in the age of the church, in the age of the spirit within him, I think he studied the word. He, he took time to understand where is Jesus in the Old Testament. And he took time to understand why is Jesus being rejected by God's people over and over again. So, like, like in the midst of this, I, I want to make a couple comments. The first one is, like Peter and John, right down in verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Right? So, so the first comment I want to make is, you don't have to have a degree in order to evangelize or disciple. All right? You don't have to have a degree in order to evangelize or disciple. To be a witness of Jesus, what you need is the Spirit and Scripture. Nothing else is really required. So the implication for each of us, right, not just these random people from 2,000 years ago, But for us, the implication is this. If you are a Christian, then the Spirit of God is with you, right? So he's within you, and he's working around you. And you have the Word of God at your fingertips, right? I mean, it's on your phone. I mean, if it's not, just get the Bible app, right? I mean, you know, you probably have it on there. Or you have one of these. Or you can take this. You can literally take this. You can walk out of here with this, right? You have it on your phone, you have it in your mind, in your heart, right? In in some church programming, right, we expect kids to memorize scripture each week, and that's great, and that's needed, and it's beneficial. I myself have profited from it, but too often, we then leave the adults off the hook, right? We don't ourselves memorize scripture, Hey, kid, you know, tell me the scripture. No, no, you got that wrong. You got that wrong, right? While we're looking at the scripture as they're saying it, right? You know, (laughs) nope, nope, nope. Missed that word, missed that word, missed that word. 
we as adults often don't study it to the point of having it available on the tips of our tongues without having to look on our phone, without having to look. That, or, you know, we're just content with just knowing the quick and easy verses, right? The John 3.16s, the Romans 3.23s type stuff. Our growth and development in the knowledge of the word stays elementary. We don't all need to be Bible scholars. I'm not expecting any of us, myself included, to write books about theology or to have whole books of the Bible memorized. And I'm certainly not expecting each of us to be full of knowledge without acting upon what we know. Learning ought to be for the purpose of application, applying such truth to our own lives personally, and then witnessing to that truth through evangelism and discipleship with our friends and family and acquaintances. Each of us can do this. You don't need a degree in order to evangelize or disciple. We have God's Spirit. We have God's Scripture. All we need is to be God's willing servants. My second comment would be this on this topic. There is a place in the church for formal theological training. There is a place in the church for formal theological training. I don't like jumping through hoops. And I don't like to make other people jump through arbitrary hoops. Right? I mean, you know, I've, most of y'all know I've started working in insurance and I'm trying to get some tests completed to be officially, you know, certified in a couple things in the insurance world. I don't like having to jump through the hoops that they're making me jump through. It's not fun, right? Now, and I know some of you have had to go through more hoops than you ought to have gone through in taking tests, in going through certain training. There are some things that seem really unnecessary, but in a similar regard, on the opposite side, I think there's a reason why Some people have little initials after the end of their names to make us be able to trust them, right? I mean, we have several medical professionals here. I am not going to go to my wife and ask her for medical advice. She doesn't have initials after her name. Like, I love her and I respect her opinion. But I'm going to go to someone who knows what they're talking about in that certain realm of life. There is a place for these things. In a world with so much falsehood, and in a culture where everybody can now be a self-proclaimed expert, Right? Hashtag Facebook comment section. Anybody? Yeah, you know, right? Why not encourage and support the people and places who formally train and equip ministers of the gospel? And I do think this is primarily a work and responsibility of the church. As a church, we ought to have expectations of ourselves and of each other that promote learning, that promote training, that encourage active discipleship, 
and evangelism. We proclaim the gospel. We build each other up in community and we send each other out on mission. The truth is proclaimed and taught. Application and encouragement to grow in faithfulness and godliness is stimulated. And together we go out and live lives on mission and financially and prayerfully support those who are living lives on mission, like the Millers. But the extent of our mission's activity cannot just be the Millers. It cannot just be the others who are out there. It must be each of us. You and me and Brian and Laura. And outreach activities in Abingdon and organizations like the SBCV who train and equip pastors and leaders and members and plant churches and send missionaries. And what we do as Southern Baptists is we partner with one another to support seminaries where leaders and missionaries and pastors are trained to know the truth and equipped to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Having a seminary education is not a foolproof method of ensuring that a leader is fully ready for the challenges of Christian ministry in the local church and on the mission field. But it is a way for churches to know what a leader believes and the time and energy that has been invested into the importance of study and application of the scriptures. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees were not just upset about Peter and John preaching in the name of Jesus. They were also upset because they disagreed on a key theological point. Right? It's not just that they didn't believe in Jesus' resurrection. They didn't believe in resurrection at all. Right? That's what it says in verse 2. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Why is it important for us to know theology, for us to understand true and right theology? Because there are those who are right around us, like those who are here right around the apostles, the disciples, who are saying, you believe something different than I do. Where, where do you get off on this? Why do you say that you're right and I'm wrong? They're upset because they're proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees, I think that's why they're particularly pointed out, is because they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. Luke has already said this in his gospel account in Luke chapter 20. He's already mentioned this. The Sadducees actually tried to test Jesus in Luke chapter 20. And they gave Jesus this hypothetical situation, and Jesus is like, I'm not even going to do this with you people, right? Let me, let me ask you this. And, and he turns it back on their heads and he says, I'm not sure you've actually studied the Old Testament. Because if you had, you would realize that you're totally wrong. But we have them here still, sometime later, still believing. Clearly Jesus didn't change their mind because they still are here and they're still existing as people who don't believe that the resurrection has happened. And because they were so annoyed by this whole circumstance that had arisen from Acts chapter 3 leading into Acts 4, this man being healed 
literally for 40 years, having had no use of his legs, couldn't fend for himself, couldn't do anything productive for society or for himself. He's been healed, and immediately he's jumping up and walking, and he's like a normal guy. He can now be a contributing member of society. And not that that's the only reason why he was healed. But I mean, they ought to be like, wow, you know, this is great. Someone else who can testify to how awesome God is. But instead, they're annoyed because the people who are supposed to be teaching aren't the ones who are teaching. Because the crowds are going over to these other people on the side of the temple. And hey, we didn't authorize that. Hey, we didn't say you could do that. Hey, hold up here. Right, and they had the authority to be able to arrest them. Right? And they arrested them, verse 3, and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. Right? So they overnight, you know, overnight jailing. But even in the midst of that, even though they were jailed, even though they had such opposition, verse 4, Luke continues to make it abundantly clear. That even in the face of persecution, even in the midst of opposition, there is nothing that can stop God from accomplishing what he intends to accomplish. Right? But many of those, verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed. The damage was already done. Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. I mean, again, everyone knew about this cripple guy. And there's a reason why thousands of them said, wow, this says something to the truth of what these people are claiming. I mean, if you were to walk out here, right, and do some abracadabra, alakazam thing, you know, and make this giant, I don't know, pot of gold appear at the end of the rainbow. I'd be like, I mean, you know, I'm going to give you some sort of credence here. Like it wasn't there before. When I walked in this afternoon, and now it's there, like, I'm going to walk down this road till I see some other negative things start happening. Right? I mean, I'm going to be influenced by that. And what Peter did is he didn't influence it and say, hey, look at me. Look at all of my power. I'm the Alakazam, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow guy. He said, no, look at Jesus. Jesus is the one who did this. And what God does through his spirit is he opens people's hearts to respond. They heard the word and they believed. Thousands of them. And so what then is the response of the rulers? Do they say, wow, this guy was healed. A clear miracle has happened. We've all seen this guy. I'm literally the captain of the temple guard. Like, I'm here every day. I've seen this guy. And now he's been healed. Maybe I ought to stop what I'm doing, pause for a second, and say something miraculous has happened. What does this mean? But instead, their pride gets in the way. Instead, their clenched fist gets even tighter. And they say, This cannot be, even though right in front of them, this guy is walking around. 
and he's jumping up when he's been laying on the ground for 40 years. They even had overnight to think about it. Right? I mean, because they couldn't do anything because it was too late. It was already evening. Right? So verse 5, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, whoever these people are. Right? I mean, the high priest, we know they're an important part. John and Alexander, we're not really sure. I guess they're just part of the family. You know, you got to mention them. Right? Like the wicked stepsisters or something. You know, I don't know. It's like, you know. Not the main part of the story, but they're there. And all who were of the high priestly family. Right? So then they get this council going. And when they had set them in the midst, verse 7, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And, I mean, the thought that I have is, I mean, I thought it was pretty clear when Peter preached for like, you know, at least it was three minutes, right? That's how long it takes to read it. But he probably preached for a little bit longer, right? And probably if there were thousands of people that were saved, maybe he even preached it a couple times or a few times. Maybe not everyone was able to hear him at first. I don't know. I'm pretty sure they already knew the answer to this question that they're asking, but they're, you know, like in the official courtroom setting, like, all right, now tell us what happened. And Peter, verse 8, Again, Luke tells us, filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and if we're familiar with the Gospels and Jesus' time with his disciples, before Jesus was crucified, Jesus made it clear to his disciples, look, they're, the religious leaders are not going to like you. The, the nations are going to be opposed to this message to me and to you. But don't be afraid whenever they drag you before the courts. Don't be afraid whenever you're kind of left in that position of having to give an account for what you've been doing and what you've been saying. I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to give you the boldness. The spirit in that moment is going to be with you. So don't worry about trying to figure out and have all the answers. But the spirit will help you, right? And that's what Luke tells us happened to Peter. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, This man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, again, this is an opportunity for Peter to be blunt, but to be clear to the rulers, to the leaders, and saying, look, I'm going to give you a little bit of quote here from Psalm 118. That's why we read Psalm 118 earlier. That this is what you're doing right now. You're these leaders who are rejecting 
the foundation that you say you're standing on. And to be completely transparent to each of you. This is the only way to salvation. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I mean, this is one of those kid verses that we ought to memorize. Acts 4.12. We ought to think about this verse whenever we're influenced to consider whether or not the Bible really is particular in what it speaks about how people are saved, how people go to heaven, how people can be right with God, what truth is and is not. This is what Peter early on in the church, is clearly proclaiming even to religious people. And he's saying to the religious leaders, I think similar to what Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but it is the scriptures that testify about me. Come to me that you might have life. Come to me, my name. All that I stand for, all that I've done, who I am, should be clear by all the things that I've done in your midst. And if all that wasn't enough, by the fact that I was raised from the dead, should make it that much more abundantly clear that what I'm saying is valid and true. And if what I'm saying is valid and true then that means some other things are not true. That, that means there is falsehood going around among you, religious people, and the world. This is one of those verses in Acts 4.12 that we want to try to like talk our way out of and, and, and not really believe to the point of actually Saying, yeah, you know, I mean, this is particular. This is the truth of the matter. There is salvation in no one else. And so some people will just say, well, I don't need salvation. Like, life is good. Life is fine. And they say, well, there is no heaven. There is no hell. There, there is no afterlife. There is no need to obey this alleged God. There, there is no need to submit myself to these rules. There is no need to submit myself to this assumed creator. And others say, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, Jesus is one of the names. He's one of the names that we can be saved by. There are these other great prophets. There's these other great religions. There's all these other different ways that we can get all to the same destination. And then I read Acts 4.12, and it seems pretty abundantly clear to me that Peter, at first opposition, 
that we have in the early church that unequivocally, without hesitation, they ask him, what does this mean? How does this happen? And he says, this happened because of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the only way. You want to know what salvation is? Look to Jesus. You can't get it from anybody else. Look in your history. Nobody else. Look to the future. Nobody else. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And what he says is, it's the name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I mean, we need to be saved, right? I mean, so both those things he is trying already before it even is an issue in Christianity, in the Christian world, in the early church, in the middle age church, in the new age church, in whatever church. He's already answering half of the objections that we have. There is salvation in no one else and you need to be saved. You must be saved. You need salvation. This isn't an option here. Like you need it. There, we, we talked about this a couple months ago when we looked at the three circles, right? The first circle is God's design. God had a design for this world. God created everything. And if God did create everything, which we believe, which Scripture clearly tells us in Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything, the heavens and the earth and everything in between. If he was the creator, then certainly he could have legitimate expectations on his creation, right? He could say, you know, this is how I expect you to live positively doing these things. And, and these are things I expect you to not do. Like you shouldn't be doing these things. And that's what he told Adam and Eve, the first two humans that he created. He said, there's, you know, there's right and there's wrong. There's truth and there's lies. And Satan came along as a serpent and he said, nah, you know, I don't know about that. And what we fell into as humans was sin. We, we didn't believe God. We didn't trust him. We didn't obey him. And we find ourselves now in, in this second circle of brokenness. We go from God's design, but because of sin, we move to brokenness. We're broken people. Why do we need to be saved? Because we're broken. And if you deny brokenness in your own life, then you're living high or just in a false reality. There's brokenness around you. Any of us can agree with that, right? I mean, we're about to have an election in a week. You know, I mean, there ain't brokenness in the midst of all that. I don't know what is. But even if you just look at your own life, I think you can find some evidences of brokenness in your life. I can find plenty in my life, in the past and currently. I live in the midst of brokenness, but how do we get out of that brokenness? What do we do in the midst of that brokenness? The only way we can be saved from that brokenness is to repent and believe in the gospel. 
And when we repent and believe in the gospel, we are then able to recover and pursue God's design for our lives. We are able to find, to know, to understand who God has created us to be, the truth of his word and what that means for us. We can find and pursue true joy and peace and goodness and love in our lives. And we can help others pursue that in their lives. There are some things in God's word that are hard to understand. This is, it's a lot of pages. It's a lot of stories. It's a lot of things that people have been debating for thousands of years on what exactly it means and what this word says and what, what the intention was here. I mean, I mean, in my Bible, which is a small one, right? I mean, it's uh, how many pages is like 1,350-something pages. That's a lot of pages. And it's small print, right? I mean, you know, you can't read that from there. There are a lot of things that are hard to understand, that aren't very clear, especially upon first reading. But there are some things that are very clear. There are some things that are not ambiguous. This is one of those that is very clear and is not ambiguous. And so the question for us is whether or not we're actually going to believe it or not. Are we going to be like these religious leaders who already know what we know and aren't going to be willing to face up to the clear evidence in front of our face that this crippled man has been healed and is now walking around? Now, we don't have that here today in Abingdon, Virginia, right? I mean, not one of you walked in here or was laid at the steps right outside, you know, the new fancy little wheelchair ramp, right? And was like, I can't get in here. Right? And then, and then Nathan walked up and was like, oh, hey, look, I don't have a wheelchair for you, but what I do have, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk, and you don't have to use that wheelchair ramp. Right? I mean, we don't have that. But we do have his word that's been preserved for us, that clearly explains, that clearly gives to us this truth. That tells us these stories of things that actually happened. And and it is left to us whether or not we're going to stay committed to the brokenness or whether we're going to open ourselves up to repent to say I didn't believe and now I do believe that I I was not following Christ and now I want to follow Christ that, that Jesus is the only way 
that the truth that's been presented here, this good news of the gospel, is that just like this man was physically healed, I can be spiritually healed. So is that you? Have you responded to this truth? That there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you agree that you need to be saved? And do you agree that Jesus is the only one who can save you? Getting a degree isn't going to save you. Performing a miracle isn't going to save you. Seeing a miracle isn't going to save you. So where are you at? Do you believe this? And if you do believe this today, are you proclaiming this to those around you? Are you working towards that? Do you want to see other people step out of their brokenness into the grace and mercy that God provides through Jesus Christ and that good news of the gospel? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this this clear explanation for us of your truth. We thank you for the boldness of Peter. We thank you for the spirit that worked through him. And we thank you that it is the same spirit that you give to us to work through us. Help us to believe that and help us to live in light of your call on our lives to be your witnesses that we would not shy away from it that we would believe it and that we would act upon it we pray in jesus name amen